Yes. It's my walk-up music today. If, if you don't know where that song comes from, for some reason, it's from the blues. That's right. That's right. We can't play any more of the song, but that one, that, that amount is good. So the blues won. Last week I was wearing my blue shirt. I've got a different blue shirt on today under this, but uh, they won the Stanley Cup, and uh, I was very excited. Um, as many of you were, I had people texting me and messaging me like, we're going to do it. It's going to happen. Yes. But that's not why we've gathered today. It's not. So uh, if you look at your notes, um, we're going to get to a definition of what commission means. Scratch it out and write what Jason said. Because his, his definition is a lot better than uh, Google is. So we're going to get there. Uh, let me recap just a bit from last week. So last week we talked about the resurrection and we talked about truth in particular. We talked about how um, you can't just believe something or refuse to believe something based on how it makes you feel. Feelings are not, do not determine what truth is. Okay, Um, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, if that is the truth, then everything he taught and every human being is responsible for obeying it. Everything he taught is true and every human being is responsible for obeying it. If the resurrection is real, then it's the hallmark of all of history and it impacts every person on the planet. Every human being has ever lived. The resurrection emphatically declares that everything said and did was true. And it confirms the promises of the cross. This, I think, is a a special part of that. The promises like, you know, forgiveness of sin, a new life, a new heart, peace with God, victory over death and sin. Those are promises that without the resurrection are just empty. But with the resurrection, those are the basis of what Christians believe and what we go forward in living. The message of a resurrected Savior, we talked about last week as well, is meant to be shared with joy, not kept private. Right When the ladies went to the tomb, they saw the angel, then they encountered Jesus. Both Jesus and the angel said, go tell others about it. Go tell the disciples Okay, And so that idea, that background brings us to our text today from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And it's commonly referred to as the Great Commission. And I liked Jason's definition of what commission means, so go with that. Um, today, he also mentioned we're going to finish the book of Matthew. Now, some of you are breathing a big sigh of relief. We started the book of Matthew in late August of 2017. Okay, And we've been preaching systematically through it, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So if you were here at the beginning, thanks for sticking with us. Okay, I'm excited to, uh, to have a couple of different things coming forward on Sunday mornings in the near future. Uh, next week, John David is going to be here to preach, and he's going to share what God puts on his heart. The week after that, the last Sunday of the month, our, our brother Paul Aiken is going to share a little bit uh, in form of a sermon and personal testimony. And then in the month of July, we're going to start kind of a new series and just briefly give kind of a plug for that. Um, it's going to be called the Together Series. 
So the elders were thinking, you know, what, where would God have us to, to, to go on Sunday mornings? What, what do we need to think through as a church? And one of the things that we talked about was kind of sprang up out of a discussion about finances and giving and how do we take offerings and stuff like that. We thought, you know, when we get together on Sunday mornings, we do pretty much the same sort of thing every week. We sing together, we pray together, we um, take up offerings, sometimes we'll baptize people, sometimes we'll take the Lord's Supper. Why do we do those things as a part of our worship gathering? When we get together, why do we do what we do? And so that's what we're going to start talking about. So in the month of July, we'll say, well, why do we, why do we pray together? Why do we preach? Why do you listen? Why is a big part of our Sunday mornings gathered around listening to me talk? You know, why do we do these things? Some of you may know, some of you may not. And so we're going to kind of talk through um, why we do those components of our worship time together. And hopefully God will instruct us and maybe challenge us on how to do things better and differently. So that's kind of where we're going in the future. And then after that, we'll look at another book of the Bible to begin preaching through. Um, but today, getting back to our text, is the Great Commission. Matthew does a specific thing that's unlike the other Gospels. Um, he points to Jesus as the king, right? From the genealogy all the way through to the end, Jesus is exalted as kind of this king, the guy in charge. He is the king. And the king, throughout his book, Matthew's book, has given us much to know about him and his kingdom. And the very last thing he says here are some of his most important words. In our text, I think there's, there's three things that I want us to look for. We're going to read it in just a second together. But I want us to look for really one thing. But there are three things that are important. Okay, one is the command. One is the rationale for the command. And, and some are the clarifiers that explain how the command is to be fulfilled. Okay, so the command itself, the rationale why we can do this command, fulfill it, and then how do we go about? What are some of the ways that we go about fulfilling this command? Okay, so specifically, look for the command in the text. So Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Read it with me. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, you have commissioned your people. And as was already stated, it's not simply a command, although that is part of this, Lord, but you've given us means and opportunity to do it, to fulfill it. Lord, you know that if it was just us to obey this command, we could never do it right. But because of what you have given us along with this command, the gospel goes to all ends of the earth. And so, Lord, we need to hear this again this morning in a way that you would have us hear it. And not just listen, Lord, but to be doers of your word as well as hearers. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. D. 
Did you catch the command in the text? It's pretty short. I think some people lump some of these things together, but there's the command of the rationale and the clarifiers. And so as much as we want to be known, I think, as great commission people, um, folks who know the truth and share it freely, the, re- the reality is, and it's pretty sad, that a lot of church-going people have not ever heard of the Great Commission or know what it means. Um, look at this, this pie chart. It's a fancy graph, so you know it's true. Um, but, but it's from Barna Research Group just uh, not long ago. And they, they asked churchgoers, so not just the random people, but churchgoers, have you ever heard of the Great Commission? Look at these, look at these answers. 51% have never heard of the Great Commission before. 51%. That's more than half. 25% have heard of it, but don't know what it means. Don't know what the Great Commission is. 6% aren't sure. And only 17% of people identifying as Christians, church goers, have heard of the Great Commission and can tell you what it means. Now, I don't, I take things like this with a little bit of grain of salt. Okay. But even if those numbers are just a little bit off, and that's still, that's still a really hard reality to face here. I already mentioned, these are the last of Jesus' words. It was recorded in Matthew's Gospel. These are some of his most important, and yet 51% of people saying that they're believers don't know what it means. This is, this is not good. Now, maybe it's just that some churches don't use the term Great Commission anymore. I, I don't know. Maybe you're out there thinking, I don't know what it means either. Okay, this is, this is not a time of, of judgment, um, of I don't want you to be af- afraid, because we're going to talk about it today. Hopefully by the end of the day, you're going to know exactly what it is and what your part in it is. My suspicion is that when we've heard, when we hear of the Great Commission, we hear this text, um, and immediately our minds go to evangelism. i got to tell people about Jesus, okay? I, I don't think that's necessarily wrong, to think, but I don't think it's complete. If that's all that we think of, I I think it's incomplete. Because if you look at the text, Jesus doesn't say, hey, go tell people about me. What's the command that's given? Somebody tell me. What is the command, the only command that's given in this text? Make disciples. Make disciples. So the command here is go make disciples of all nations. That's the command. Okay. Um, let me just interject this here. This isn't the, the main thrust of the conversation. We'll maybe get into this more when we go through our together study, uh, why we emphasize missions on Sunday mornings. Um, but notice the, the, the phrase, make disciples of all nations. Okay. Um, all nations there means what it says. It means all nations, all people groups. That's where the gospel is to go on the backs of Jesus' disciples. All the ends of the earth. It doesn't mean just to the Jews. right? The disciples had a pretty steep prejudice against Gentiles. Um, Even after Jesus raised, I mean, Paul and Peter got into a disagreement about this sort of a thing. There was still some misunderstanding even after Jesus went to heaven. Back to heaven. Um, and so this prejudice caused them to struggle with what it meant to take the, 
to make disciples of all nations. Okay? Paul may be the most prejudiced um, person against Christianity in general. Um, just makes it crisp, crystal clear that we're supposed to make disciples of all nations. He says it several different places. You can see in your notes. He says to take the gospel to the Jews, to the Gentiles, to the slave, to the free, to the men, to the women, to the barbarian. That It's pretty clear this is not just a message for one people group. It is to be taken to all nations. So let me just say this, brothers and sisters. If you're a Christian, you will be involved in making disciples somehow. You will be. It's going to look a little different, but you will be somehow. And if you're involved in making disciples, I, I think that you're going to be led to people who don't look like you, who don't talk like you, who don't live like you. God is going to take you to people that are not like you because they need the gospel. And I would also say that a lot of people like us still need the gospel. Okay? Um, and I want, I want you to hear this with love um, and hopefully with a communitive passion for the glory of God. If, if you never encounter people who look, speak, or live differently, I would just challenge you to consider is if you're actively fulfilling the Great Commission or not. Fulfilling the Great Commission, it's not always going to look like going to the ends of the earth. Uh, that, uh, the, the Gospel of Mark puts it that way. He says, go into all the world. Okay, All of us are not going to go to Southeast Asia like Matty Brown did. All of us are not going to serve on a foreign mission field uh, like Jamie and Aaron Derringer that we talk about here. Not everybody's going to go to the bush of Africa or the crowded city, cities of India or the isolated mountains of the Himalayas to preach the gospel. Not all of us will do those things. Now, we praise God for those who do, right? That's why we talk about the Derringers in Vanuatu. That's why we talk about um, Eric and Kate Pitts and their family in Kenya. That's why we talk about um, Christy and Michelle Harlea in Romania. We talk about these families because we, we're holding the rope as they go and serve people. We're supporting them, Okay. But just because we don't go to somewhere far away and remote, it doesn't mean we get a free pass on making disciples, brothers and sisters. We should have a hand in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, but there's much disciple-making to be done right here, right here down the street. Look at verse 19 and 20. These are the clarifiers that I mentioned before. So the command was, Make disciples of all nations. Verse 19 and 20 give us three words. They say go, teach, and baptize. In, in, in the correct order, it's go, baptize, and teach. Those, I think, are the clarifiers for um, explaining what we do when we're making disciples. When we go out, these are the things that we're to be about. We teach them all the things that Jesus said to do. And when they've trusted in Christ, we baptize them. And we don't do either of those things unless we are going. Okay? We should go to people where they are. We should baptize them as they trust Christ. And we should teach them the ways of Jesus. And when we do those things, God is greatly glorified. But the end goal of missions, I can't, I can't say is the going 
or even the baptizing or even the teaching. Those are good and necessary things. But the end goal of missions, as you may have heard it said before, is the glory of God. And so I would say, and this is kids, this is the phrase that Pastor Jason told you to listen for. The end goal of missions is making disciples who are passionate for the glory of God. That's, that's why we go and tell people about him. Making disciples and the glory of God go hand in hand. I don't, I don't think we have it on our announcement sheet anymore, but when we had bulletins and on our website, our, our church mission statement is make, glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. These are the things that we are to be about. I'll say it again. The end goal of missions is making disciples who are passionate about the glory of God. And we see this from Scripture. I think I've got these in your notes. First Chronicles 16.24 Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all peoples. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. And you just think back to, to what we've gone through in Matthew already. Jesus said just a couple of chapters ago, um, the word's going to go out to all the earth and people are going to hate you for it. This is going to happen. The glory of God among the peoples of the world is God's ultimate goal. That's what those verses tell us. His glory among the nations is to be seen. And so if that's God's goal, <laughs> shouldn't that be our goal as well? We do missions and we make disciples for the global glory of the one true God. That's what the Great Commission is all about. But Jesus gave his disciple, disciples this message how many years ago? Thousands of years ago. Could it really be the same today? How do we know this is still going to work in 2019? That brings us to, I think, the rationale here for the command. And that's back in verse 18. Just look back and, and tell me what it is. What, we're told to go, to baptize, to teach, to make disciples. Why? How can we go do those things? Right there. Because Jesus says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. That's how we can go and make disciples. Because the authority of everything on earth and in heaven belongs to Jesus who is sending us out. Think about what the disciples were hearing here. What had they just seen Jesus do? How could they be convinced that Jesus really did have all authority? Well, let's think about some of the things that they saw Jesus do. They saw him cast demons out of people. They saw him raise other people from the dead. They saw him walk on water. They saw him heal blind men, lame men, sick people. They saw him calm a raging storm. Oh, don't forget, he had just risen from the grave, right? Just resurrected after three days of being dead. Right? All of these things are, are there to convince the disciples. It's true. He is who he said he is. And now he's sending them out. He's sending us out. When Jesus calmed the storm with just a couple of words, what was the disciples' reaction? They said, who is this guy? Who is this that the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this that he has authority over natural creation? Jesus had just thoroughly proved that he was God. 
and that he had all authority over heaven and earth. And in verse 20, he reminds his friends, he says, guys, all authority has been given to me, and what's going to happen? He says, I'm going to be with you always as you're going and making disciples and teaching and baptizing. As you do all of these things, I am with you to the very end, to the end of the age. I got to think that this was just an injection of passion for the disciples. Now, as I already mentioned, it didn't take full root yet, but it would. It would soon. But when they heard this, when you and I hear this, I want us to think about it this way, because I think this is important. When Jesus tells us that he has authority and that he's going with us, when we go to make disciples, this should help us understand that the power and authority of Jesus would continue to be the motivating and sustaining force for their mission and for our mission. It's not how well you share the gospel, brothers and sisters. You can stammer and stutter and fall on over your words and the person can get saved and you think, how did that happen? And then preachers can stand up and give the most eloquent sermon that there is and no one believes because it's not about us. It's about the power of Jesus through us, taking us to these places, all authority. So brothers and sisters, when we're committed to fulfilling the Great Commission, as a call to disciple-making, the absolute authority of Jesus guarantees our success. It guarantees it. So, the command is make disciples of all nations. The clarifiers are go, baptize, and teach. And the rationale is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. From this text, that's what we understand. It would seem that the majority of believers... I think that we feel the weight of this, right? We, we've, we understand that we should be sharing our faith, but I think we've misunderstood the means to do so, and I think we're now stunted in our fulfillment of the Great Commission to a degree. Here's some things that I think we tend to miss the mark on when it comes to the Great Commission and fulfilling it. Um, and, and the first one, I'll just admit, is a struggle for me. I am a... Um, you know, there's different learning styles. Uh, is it kinetic where you kind of talk, you really learn by using your hands? Um, there's several others. I can't remember them, but the one that I, I learn well is auditory. So like the, the lecture, not everybody learns well from a lecture. I do, I get that. And so my tendency is to think, well, if I just give the information that's, gonna, that's all that it needs. If you just know the right information, you're going to get saved and you're going to walk with the Lord and you're going to be a disciple. That's, I struggle with this. You know, when we're told to teach people to observe everything that Jesus commanded in verse 20, it's more than just transferring information from one brain to another brain. It's more than that. I, I struggle with this because I want to make the task easier on me so I begin to think that if, well, if I can just transfer all the right information to this person, to just give them a pamphlet with everything that they need to know about Jesus, boom, done. My job is finished and I can go about my day. That doesn't automatically create a God-glorifying disciple though, does it? 
And, and I think we know that that's not how it works. I heard someone put it this way. Focusing intently on the body of information to be learned, many simply assume that the heart and character of the disciple will automatically grow in Christ-likeness. But it doesn't. Instead of drilling information into non-Christians or even young believers, I think the better way, and we'll talk about this coming up in another week, the better way is for Christians to, to come alongside of non-believers and new believers especially and serve as mentors to them as ser- and serve as disciplers, showing them what it means to be a disciple of Jesus with their lives, not just with their information. And it seems so obvious now, but look at Jesus' example. He spent three years showing the disciples what it meant to follow him, what it meant to, to, follow, G- to follow God. He didn't just give them a bunch of information over a two-week study course and then say, go do it. He lived with them. He showed them the way. And guys, it takes time and time and more time and then some more time. And then it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of love and it takes an awful lot of patience to do this, to join with someone on their journey with Jesus. Um, again, we'll talk about that more coming up. And there are, I can think of almost a handful of, of some of your stories of, of members of our church who this played out in real life. In. And it chokes me up because I love hearing those stories. And I hope, hope to share some of those with you as we move forward in that kind of a discussion. So that's the first thing I think we just missed the mark on. And, and maybe that's just for, for Rod this morning. Um, but it's, it's more than just a transferring of information. Um, the other thing that I would say we tend to miss the mark on when it comes to the Great Commission is that we overemphasize individualism in regards to the Great Commission. Okay, let me explain what that means. We tend to think, we know... We know we're supposed to go and share. Um, we know we're supposed to share our faith. And we spent, tend to think, okay, I know I have to do this. I know I'm supposed to do this. I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. I'm, I'm going to go do this, so I'm going to go do it by myself. I'm go out there. I'm going to, well, however evangelism is to you, you go and you do it. And I think that we tend to forget or maybe even intentionally neglect to take into account our brothers and sisters in the body. Not every person in this room is especially gifted in how to share, in how to speak. And yet some of those people that are really gifted in that way aren't so gifted in mercy, in hospitality. And so we need our brothers and sisters because we don't all have the same gifts. Disciple-making was never intended to be an isolated or individual task. It, it never was. It was always meant to happen in tandem with the church inside a community of faith. There's a professor at Covenant Theological Seminary named um, Michael Goeen. And he said, I thought this was really in- interesting, and it, it's kind of where I understood this point. He said, the Great Commission is not a task assigned to isolated individuals. It's an identity given to a community. Fulfilling the Great Commission is not just about you going out and doing it by yourself. 
It's about you in community with other believers discipling non-Christians, helping people understand what it means to be saved and then discipling them on their journey. Christians are united in community by our new identity in Christ. Community is our new identity. It unites us in the body of Christ. It's not, if you like the blues like I do, that's not what unites us. It's not our socioeconomic status. It's not the color of our skin. None of those things unite believers. What unites Christians is that people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation are tied together with the bonds of love of Jesus. That's what ties us together. That's what holds us together. When a lot of the world, and we see this now, would love to just tear the church apart. And a lot of the church tends to want to tear the church apart too. If we were, if we saw one another in this way, it would solve an infinite number of problems in the church today. Because we're not bound by the language that we speak or the color of our skin. We're bound by love for Jesus. I think sharing, I mentioned this before, I think sharing in the disciple-making task is just smart because I get to learn from some of you who have been doing this a lot longer than I have. I get, I get to live life. So when we go out to, to eat and we encounter someone that maybe we don't know, I get to watch and see how you interact with them. And you get to see how I interact with them. And we get to become more well-rounded believers and disciples. You know, some of you have been doing that for longer than I've been alive, sharing your faith, discipling people. And there's some people that are brand new Christians. They're just so full of excitement and zeal, but they don't know how to go share their faith well. And so we need to come together as the body of Christ. We don't do this on an individual basis. We do life together. And so we get to see how this gets played out together. Remember, Jesus gave this command to the only church that was established at the time, right? Eleven guys. So I want us to be careful not to separate evangelism and disciple-making apart from the community of of believers. The Great Commission, I think, also is for all believers at all times in all areas of the world. Uh, This may be just an obvious thing. This may be a given to you. But I want us to understand that every follower of Jesus should be making other followers of Jesus. I've heard it put this way. Every disciple is a disciple maker. So the question then leads us into, what does it look like to be a disciple maker? What does it mean to go make disciples? It's more, going and making disciples is more than just counting raised hands or commitment cards at the end of an evangelistic campaign. It is more than that, brothers and sisters. It can start there, but it is so much more than that. And I think that's where we are lacking oftentimes is, okay, someone has said that they trusted Christ. Now, what do they do? Too often we've left them on their own to struggle and fight and fall when we need to come alongside of them. So this this isn't in my notes, but let me encourage you If you know of a young Christian or someone that you don't know well, pick someone and start pouring into them. 
Start meeting with them. Start loving on them. Start walking with them on their faith journey, on your faith journey. So what would it look like to really do this? Well, a disciple of Christ, I think we have to understand, is someone who has already been converted through the preaching of the gospel and then bears fruit corresponding to repentance and faith. And in Matthew 28 here, that phrase, make disciples, is from a Greek word that means to learn. Okay? So what does that tell us? To be a disciple is to be a learner. It means to be a pupil, a student. Who does a student learn from? A teacher. Who does a servant learn from? A master. An apprentice learns from their master. So a disciple is someone who's always learning, but not just like arbitrarily from any old person. A disciple is someone who listens and follows and emulates a specific person. And they continue to be transformed into the likeness of that particular person's manner and likeness. Think about Matthew 10. You don't have to turn there. But think about Matthew 10. Jesus says in verse 24 and 25, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. This is what we look for. We see our master and we want to, this is not normally a good term, but we want to assimilate to be more like him. What he does, we do. A Christian disciple is actively seeking to become like Christ through study and assimilation of his teaching and the imitation of his person. It's like sanctification, the process of sanctification. It's an ongoing thing where we're always learning, where we're always seeking to integrate more truth, always striving to be more and more like our master. So let me ask this question again. What does it look like to be a disciple who makes disciples? I think um, we can learn a lot from the book of John here. And so I, I just want to jump to a few passages in John, three really quickly, because I know time's about up. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to John 8. I think they're in your notes, so you can just look at it there too. But John gives, really it's Jesus, but John's recording of it gives characteristics of what a true disciple really is. Three things Jesus himself says that we can understand this is what it looks like to be a disciple. The first one is found in John eight thirty one and 32. Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Did you catch it? What's the first thing that Jesus says is a clear evidence that you are a disciple of his. If you abide in my word, genuine disciples of Christ will continue submitting their, themselves to the word of God. And as a result, Jesus says here, they're going to experience greater and greater freedom from bondage. The truth will set you free, he says. I don't think Jesus is teaching sinless perfection here in this life. I think he's saying that the disciples, true disciples, will hold on to his word and grow in grace as a result of it. Real, true, genuine disciples will hold on to his word and grow in grace as a result of it. The second thing in John chapter 13, verse 35. I'll give you just a second to turn there if you're following along. John 13, 35. <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking again, obviously. He says, 
by, all, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. A genuine disciple will openly identify with other disciples and love them to such an extraordinary degree that even the unbelieving world is going to attest to their relationship with Christ. If there's one area that we can immediately improve on in the body of Christ, it's this. Show love to one another. Be patient with one another. To the same degree that Jesus has forgiven you, forgive one another. Uh, This kind of love is unfortunately lacking in a lot of churches today. But Jesus lists this as a clear indication that someone is a follower of his. This kind of love breaks down the barriers of race, of social class, of economic status. This is what unites us together. It's love for Jesus. True disciples will have noticeable, lasting, and genuine love for one another. I think that's what we take from that. True disciples will have noticeable, lasting, and genuine love for one another. Number three, this is the last thing. John 15, verse 8. I'll just flip a couple chapters over. John 15, verse 8. Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Here, I think we see pretty clearly that a disciple of, of Christ is going to bring forth good fruit, good works, in order to prove the, the validity of their confession of faith. This is, this is one of the most, of Jesus' most fundamental teachings, I think, on the matter of genuine conversion and discipleship. We can't be true disciples if we just ignore his teachings and commands laid out for us in Scripture. We can't really say we love Jesus and are following Jesus if we just ignore what he says in his word. So apart from the word of God, mature discipleship is unattainable. You can't get it. It's an impossibility. It doesn't work. In fact, I don't think it can work because that's that's how we learn what our master requires of us as his disciples is the word of God. How do we abide in his word if we don't know his word? How do we love one another if we don't know his word? How do we bear any fruit if we don't know what kind of fruit he requires of us, if he wants from us? Paul Washer says this. He says, any disciple making that's not built on the inerrant word of God is an absurdity and a contradiction of the worst sort. It's not disciple making. It's legalist making. It's Pharisee making. It's dead men dressed up as Christian making. That's what disciple making without the word of God really is. It doesn't work. And so for this reason, if you're going to be a disciple maker, you have to be devoted to the teachings of our master that are found in the scriptures alone. That's it. We have to dedicate our lives to obeying, teaching, and demonstrating Jesus' commands to others because it doesn't just stop with us. Parents, you understand this. You don't want your kids to only be just like you. You want them to go on and do greater things than you did. Brothers and sisters, we should want those who are coming after us to do greater things in the name of Jesus than we've done. And that's how this happens. 
But this is also why churches die. They don't have disciples making other disciples. And so it just stops. The process does not continue. So does this mean that Jesus' disciples are never going to sin again? You know, if our, that last point, he says, bear much fruit and so prove that you're my disciples. So if, if someone is claiming to be a Christian, but is not bearing fruit, where are we at with that? Because that's a, that's a tricky little place to be. That's a difficult place for us to evaluate ourselves and us to evaluate other people. That obviously doesn't mean that we're never going to blow it. If bearing fruit means absolute perfection, only one person will ever bear fruit. And he's, it's Jesus, right? Because none of us have a perfect sinless nature. It doesn't mean that we're not ever going to fall into sin or even destructive habits. Um, I think back to scripture and we could really easily illustrate that with Abraham, Noah, uh, Moses, David, even the apostle Peter. Um, these guys had periods, seasons, if you will, where you might have looked at them and thought, I mean, Peter's out there cursing, saying, I don't know Jesus. You look at him in that moment, just that little snapshot, you may think, this guy doesn't know the Lord. And yet he would go give his life because of Jesus, preaching the gospel in his name. So though genuine disciples, I, I, I do believe, may fall into sin, they won't remain there without a struggle. Okay? I, I, I think I've said this before, or this type of thing. Christians are going to blow it. Christians are going to fall into sin, but they're not just going to be okay with it. They're not going to be okay with just falling into sin. When their sin is revealed, genuine disciples will repent and turn from their sin and turn back to their Savior. They're not going to be content to stay immersed in their sin for very long. I think, again, I think back to David and, uh, and the prophet Nathan, right? After he had sinned with Bathsheba and he was kind of in this state of bliss where he wasn't thinking of what he had done wrong. He was just sort of happy to be in his sin. And Nathan comes to him and tells him the story. And David can so clearly see the error of the man in the story, but he couldn't see it in his own heart. Until Nathan said, with boldness, that I pray we have, he said, David, you are that man. And go back and read that story. David's response is not to make excuses, to not blame somebody else. He's broken, and it's clear. The kingdom knows that David is broken. And several of the Psalms that we have are written as a result of this encounter. Um, so much so that he, he's referred to as a man after God's own heart. True disciples, if we want to kind of condense this last point this way, true disciples will ultimately and obviously prove their allegiance to Jesus by how they live. Every person saved by grace through faith is set on this lifetime track of becoming more and more like Jesus. Sometimes I think of um, little Owen in the NICU and that NICU dance that they talked about. Sometimes our Christian walk feels that way, right? Two steps forward, one step back. Two step forward, one step back. Maybe it's one step forward, two steps back. 
We're on this walk with the Lord, this journey with Jesus that is, is not paved with flat, smooth ground, right? The path that leads to destruction is that way. Not the one that follows Jesus, but that's discipleship, brothers and sisters. That's why it can't be an isolated thing from the body. We need one another to support. One. So when I fall and I fail and I'm not being a disciple who's making other disciples, you can correct me and you can, as Nathan did to David, set me, God used him to set David back on track and God can use you to do the th- same thing for me and me, you, and you one another. And this is why it can't happen in isolation. It's going to be a slower process than any of us would care for, I'm sure. But don't give up. Don't give up following Jesus, being his disciple. We become more like Jesus. We become better disciples when we hold on to his word, when we love one another, and when we bear fruit in his name. Those are the things. That's the prescription, if you will, that Jesus gives on what it really means to be his disciple. Every Christian is commanded to not only be a true disciple, but to make more disciples. And if we're not in that process to some, at some point, to some degree, we need to stop and think, Lord, am I obeying you? Am I really a disciple? Am I really following how I ought to be? So maybe you've noticed this morning as we've talked that maybe you're not a Christian who's making disciples. Maybe you're not a disciple of Jesus at all. Um, I would say that it's, it's my hope, it's our hope as a church body that you would see these things lived out in our lives more often than not. You're not going to see us get it perfect all the time. Brothers and sisters, please don't expect perfection from one another. Instead, you know, our desire and the major theme of our lives should be to honor Jesus by bearing the fruit of repentance and righteousness for everyone to see. So if you're here without Christ and you don't know him, I pray that you could get to know any member of our church and see that better and see Jesus Christ better as a result of a relationship with them. Christian, I think I'm talking to most of most believers out here. I'll just finish today's sermon with one little phrase. We've got work to do. Let's go do it. Let's pray. And Lord, this call to the Great Commission, to fulfill the Great Commission, is in essence a call to disciple-making. You have charged us, commissioned us as your, your people to go out and live life with one another and to mentor and to disciple and to make more disciples. But Father, we cannot, we cannot obey that command if we're not a disciple already. Lord, like, in like way, we cannot obey that command if we're not really walking with you at this moment in this season. So Lord, it's possible, it's maybe probable even, that there is one or more here today that they're in that season where if we just looked at their lives, we would not see much of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would deliver them from that rut. That rut. I pray that you would awaken their spirit with the truth, with the joy of their, of their salvation. Lord, restore it to them. 
so that they might see the truth that is within them and just have this burning desire to go and to share it with others. And Lord, as, as we do this in the body, some, some may be waning in that, maybe growing colder, and some may be growing stronger. And Lord, we can learn from one another. So help us to see this as a thrust and mission of the church, not only individuals, but collectively as the body. Lord, make Ramsey Creek a beacon of hope in our community, a lamppost of light in the darkness. Father, not full of perfect people because we're not. Lord, but full of people who are ready to repent and ready to be patient and forgive and, to, and ready to show love to one another. Because you've shown us today, Lord, that when, we, when people see how we love one another, it's absolute, undeniable proof that we belong to Jesus. And so, Lord, may you bring that about in our hearts today. Help us to repent of our wrong attitudes and behavior and thinking and give ourselves fully over to you in this way so that we may go be disciples who are making other disciples. In Christ's name I pray.